back. Hello. What's up, family? What's going on? Diesel and Reeser, back at it again. Back with the Daniels and with uh, yes, we are. Yeah. We're the Daniels and the, and Wachowskis. the Wachowskis. Um We've got we've got two duets, and joining us for a conversation today, uh, myself and Jeffrey Reeser had to bring in one of our uh, brothers, colleagues, Mr. Micah Van Hove. Long time. What's up, baby? What's up? What's up, guys? How's it? How's it? How's it crunching? <laughs> Micah is an uh, incredible filmmaker, also from um, uh, the magical city of Ojai. It's a province, but yeah. Has had films play all over the world. We're talking Germany, United States, uh, Colombia. I mean, or Peru. Where, where, where was it in South America? Bulgaria. Come on, baby. You know, films that all, all of you need to see: Shadow of a Gun, uh, the, the 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 forthcoming. I mean, I can. Can I can I yeah, can I say the sure. name of your, your new movie? Sure. Snake Oil Song. Snake Oil Song coming very soon. It's coming in hot. Okay, so you guys have already spoken about Ohio on this podcast. You've you've already. I don't know if we have actually. our cover essentially. Actually, yeah, yeah, I haven't introduced Ohio. That's true. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it can be Google. It's a lovely place. Yes, it can be Google. It's in California. Mike and I are both from there. It's a, a small town about an hour and a half north of Los Angeles. I mean, half, half right. the people listening to this may be from Ojai. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lovely wine country. Some of the sweetest and most interesting minds. And I'm so happy to have, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like a transplant, even though I'm from New York. But Ohio yeah, is like, you're an honorary like, citizen for sure. Okay, yeah. that's great. That's great. But anyway, so we we brought uh, Micah, an amazing artist, and and you know, um, uh, burgeoning auteur, uh, and uh, you know, to to join us in discussion to talk about two very fascinating, uh, richly conceived movies. Um, Jeff, you want to do the honors of introducing what we're going to talk about? So today? in in honor of the uh, new film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, we decided to go back to one of the films that inspired it um, really explicitly uh, called The Matrix, uh, which is a film that came out in 1999. If you haven't it heard of it. It was a sleeper hit. Um, and uh, <laughs> directed and written by the Wachowski brothers at the time, so which have now become the Wachowski sisters. Yeah, yeah, Wachowskis, and and then yeah, and everything, every everywhere, all at once is directed by Daniel Scheinert and uh, Daniel Kwan, who are both Daniels, and they shot into fame for directing their Turn Down for What music video. I mean, their music videos are just pretty outlandish, and um, and everything about them feels so homegrown. I mean, even just the way that they integrate effects and whatnot. And their first film was Swiss Army Man. So this is their sophomore uh, film that they did with A24. We don't... Are you going to edit that part out? or? Yeah, we don't, we don't talk about Swiss Army Man. That's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that should be redacted from this podcast as well as from the history of cinema, I think. Oh, and the history Lord. of podcasts as well. Daniel, Daniels, if you're listening, we still love you. You know, we love you, kid, but, you know. But, okay, so let's start with the beginning. You know, we always start with the, the older film first. So, uh, I mean, Matrix, right? I mean, he, here is a movie in 1999 at the turn of the century. This movie pretty much, you know, changed so much of how we perceive culture, right? Yeah. I mean, I got to say from the jump, it's a little, it's a little awkward to have the Matrix 
as a movie on this show because we usually talk about the movies as if they're like novel things that like we're checking out. But I mean, the matrix is so right. ubiquitous. That it's like, I feel like to summarize it would be kind of ridiculous. Um, so, I mean, if you have not seen the matrix and you're listening to this, uh, my best advice would be to stop listening to the show uh, and go watch the matrix and then, and then resume this, this podcast. But um, I mean, yeah, this, this film kind of gave an entire generation like a reason to want to make movies. I mean, this, I think this inspired all three of us to become filmmakers on, on some level. If not, if not being the primary film, then this was at least in the top three or five. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the matrix shit on everything, uh, (coughs) continues to shit on everything. Uh, so it's kind of the heavyweight champion of modern pop sci-fi action with a philosophical underpinnings. So, um, nobody's really done it with as much passion or verve, um, or integrity sense. I mean, the closest thing I can think to it is total recall. If we were doing like a, the matrix as the contemporary film and then choosing an older film, it would be total recall because, um, Mm. it is, it is, there is some stuff that, that was, that, was pretty heavily borrowed from that, I think, uh, or at least inspired. But it's just so rare to have a movie that's able to take its themes and mythology and not just have it be part of the backdrop, to actually like give it a, a look and a voice and a, and a, and a story and, yeah. and, and really activate it. And, um, right, right. And, and I think the genre mashup, the Matrix yeah. also mashed up a few genres that I, I don't think people had ever expected or anticipated, which is the martial arts film genre. Then you have the action genre. Then you have also on top of that, the science fiction genre. And um, and then then you also insert so many of the the anime yeah. inspirations. And the like cyberpunk aesthetic also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the cyberpunk aesthetic. So I think... Just that that sort of melting pot, um, it was just so unique. And and when we talk about, you know, it's not like we haven't seen great science fiction films since then. It's just that it's that melting pot of 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 genre. I think is was so mind blowing, and it was also just wildly entertaining. You know, I think it, like The Matrix is one of those films that just feels like this. You're going to a you know a twelve course meal with for yeah. f- four of the most interesting people in the world, you know, I mean, you've got Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne and Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantogliano and uh, Hugo Weaving, you know, and then like <laughs> uh, w- one of the most quotable uh, scenes w- was um, the the androgynous woman. Oh God, I forgot her name. Um, not, but, like you know, not like this. <laughs> <laughs> not like this. Not like this. Not like this. It's like it's got so many quotable moments and scenes i mean from the just just from the opening scene of that film i mean you're just like and and enraptured. i mean not only is it quotable but so many uh you like it's almost like every 10 minutes there's a line that i've heard be recontextualized as some kind of like yes. mantra or or metaphor for the contemporary condition like you think that's air you're right. breathing there is no spoon mm. there is no spoon um 
I mean, then there's like one-liners like "dodge this," and uh, yes. I mean, it's it's or like, the, and also the concept of the red pill and the blue pill, like that the has red be, pill and the blue that's pill. become a huge cultural touchstone to come to mean so many things. Um, we've got the desert of the real, which is a reference to simulacra and simulacrum, like mm-hmm. the, uh, Baudrillard, Baudrillard for, yeah. for for our for our philosophical yeah. philosophy nerds out there. And then there's who denounced the movie, right? Oh, I didn't know that. Did he? He said like they got it all wrong. <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's an action movie. I mean, <laughs> they got it. Well, come on, man. It's not a philosophical text, but uh, I'd like to. I'd like to see what he has to, has to say. Baudrillard himself said that the Matrix misunderstands and distorts his work. Wow. And, and it probably does. Some uh, some interpreters of the Matrix mentioned Baudrillard's philosophy to support their claim that the film was an allegory for contemporary experience in a heavily commercialized, media-driven society, especially in developed countries. Uh, so that seems to be wrong, according to the author himself. But um, it's funny because I, I I told I told Jeff yeah I actually read Simulacra Simulacrum during the uh, the lockdown in 2020 as part of a, a book club that quickly disbanded after a few months. Nice. But, <laughs> but um, I don't know, you know, I, I mean, uh, it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sad that he didn't enjoy the movie, but it's also, I mean, like, like Jeff just said, it's a fucking action movie. So I, I think, and it, you know, like, it's like you take certain concepts from things and, and, you know, sometimes you got to take the most, you got to take the most superficial or, uh, clean cut and easily serv- serv- serviceable to the planet, you know, so that people can just get it, the most digestible version of, of the philosophy. And it, and it doesn't quite get into the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, like some of the things that he's talking about, but it's, it's a sci-fi computer. And also I, you know, I love, I love in- intellectuals, but they often just miss the point. They often just are like, you know they they have trouble just experiencing something <laughs> or just like right, basking right. in the beauty of something or or the entertainment value and and just trying to distill the the meaning so anyway yeah 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 now i i, I like jeff that you opened it by saying that we don't need to go through the plot of the matrix because i mean for all of you out there you haven't seen the matrix please just go watch it um but I, I do want to hit hit some of the the major points in terms of just why it hasn't been replicated. So we talked about the genre mashup, and then I even think it's been hard for the Wachowskis, yeah, to, to top. I mean, for sure. you know, we're, we're also we're, it's twenty twenty two right now, and we saw the Matrix Resurrections, and they couldn't even, you know, Lana couldn't even touch her own film. I I did not. I could not bring myself to watch that. I, I mean, did not see it. We did not see it. Yeah, no, no, no. That that that. But did you pro- did you watch it? I I did watch it. I did watch oh, it. Oh fuck! You know, How was that? Uh, <laughs> I didn't know you were hardcore. <laughs> oh, dude, he's pretty hardcore. I'm a hardcore dude. I, I've played all the Matrix video games. I played, uh, you know, Matrix Online, Matrix Path of Neo, Enter the Matrix. I played the new uh, Matrix for the PlayStation Five, the demo. I saw Matrix Resurrections. I've seen Anim- Animatrix and all three of the Matrix movies. Um, so I, Matrix is my favorite. It's my favorite universe. Right, favorite like, franchise. Pe- people, yeah. people love 
you know, Star Star Wars and Star Trek and Jurassic Park, but there, I just love the idea of the Matrix universe and the way that you can download a program and get a power and you can, you know, like just jack in and learn how to do things and you can go into different training programs. I thought that was just like the, one of the most ingenious, if, if not the most ingenious thing that I've seen in, in, in multimedia. The Daniels would agree you know, with you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You know, I don't know. I, I love The Matrix for many reasons. I, I, I believe that in a hundred years, it's the only movie we'll, we'll still remember um, from this time. But I, I think it's so special the fact that it came out when it did at the turn of the century, like kind of right on that cusp of uh, us becoming robots, which we pretty much fully are now, and mm -hmm. the merging of mind and machine and um, Y2K and fear of technology, yet the full embracing of technology, the, the fear of corporate takeover, yet the full embracing of it, uh, the idea of living as a slave in a commercialized society, yet being happy within that society, of course, going back to 1984 and other things. Um, but I just love that it came out when it did uh, with the convergence of elements that it did. The Like you said, the action, the sci-fi, uh, the philosophical, the the wire foo, sort of all combining uh, to create this piece of art, uh, this create a piece of pop art, and you can clearly tell the filmmakers were all in on this project. Like, um, and I love the I love the anecdote about them financing the movie, and it started out as like a a, a part of a deal with uh, like a three picture deal or something, where it was just one of the movies that they were going to make. And they were trying to do it cheaply because they didn't have like the full budget. So they were shooting in Australia and they had to get a couple other companies on board. I can't remember which ones uh, it, it was, but the anecdote, I don't know if it's true or not, but that they kind of spent their whole budget just on the opening sequence. Uh, and they yeah, sent that back to the well. studio and, and got the green light for the rest of it. So I just get this feeling that like the matrix was an amazing confluence of <sighs> ideas genres and also like a part a time in these filmmakers lives where they're all fucking in on this movie and they just had to make it work and you can just feel that in a yeah. way that's so palpable and and once you're into sequels and expanding the universe then you're just this then you're just basically jerking off so the the matrix one is like the true <laughs> the true piece of art in the in the franchise uh, the rest is just the sort of capitalist rubble uh but uh, I don't know. I I, th I think it's just I, I do believe that it's the only movie we'll still be talking about from this time in a hundred years. One of the things that I've I've at least one of the major critiques that I've just read in think pieces on the Matrix is that the love story at the core of it isn't strong. What do you guys think about? Oh, that? I totally disagree. In fact, that's I just I just watched it. Uh, I just finished it t earlier today, and um, I mean that's. That aspect of it, I think, has always been probably the most moving element uh, emotionally. And it totally, that was the thing that I was the most, like, keyed into this time watching it. Um, there's some, there's a couple points that I'm, I, there was one scene that I was confused about. And if you guys remember the movie well, we can talk about it. But, but. Which one? Well, basically, um, it's when Trinity, it's the last time that Trinity is going uh, from the matrix, uh, back, back into reality on, at, in the subway right before the, yeah. that final face off. And, right. and at that point it's pretty well established that like, 
I mean, she doesn't say it, but she it, it it's pretty clear that she's in love with Neo, and it's pretty clear that Neo's the one. But then there's this moment where they're standing together, and and she knows there's no time because Agent Smith is on their ass. But she takes that yeah. moment to be like, um, the oracle, everything the oracle told me was true, except yes. for dot dot dot. And he's like, except for what? And then she cuts but, out. But but it's all but the only thing that would make sense as far as I could tell in that moment is for her to say, she she said that I would fall in love with the one and I'm not in love with you, but and I'm, I, and I'm but not in love with you. That that's what would make sense. So what I'm asking is what was she gonna say? Like how does that scene make sense? You know, are you guys following? Yeah, I'm following. Why wouldn't you think that she's saying that I I am with in love with you? Because because that's because that's because later she reveals that the oracle said that um, that the person who is the one is the guy who she would fall in love with. Right. You're saying that she actually falls in love with him after he dies. Then, like I don't know. Moment, I don't know. You know. The scene doesn't make sense to me because it's pretty. Because there's other scenes that imply that that she does love him and then is disappointed to because there are signs that he's not the one earlier and she's like all disappointed because and i think the reason for that is because she clearly has this love connection for for neo so she's like well wait a minute i love this guy but he's not the one like what the fuck and she's like getting her hopes up you know so and then after the the helicopter scene it's pretty clear that neo is the one and then she's like and then there's this confusing beat, and that that felt like they were trying to shoehorn, like the drama of the romance in, even though it logically doesn't make sense. Well, there's plenty of instances of that. Like there would be no movie if, in the beginning of the film, the agents just took over the cop in the beginning. Like, why didn't they just do that? Took over the what? And the movie in the first scene. Um, well, there's plenty of narrative things like yeah. that just no, to but, keep the movie going but I, yeah. I think it wasn't fully clear that he's the one until he's dead like because uh because it's like this martyrdom thing it's like oh well he must really be the one if he's if he just gave his life you know uh so i, I think there's something in in there i don't think they're sure that he's the one uh, i think i think morpheus is like after morpheus the, is the only one well he's like, sure the whole time 100 percent, yeah right but there's that whole thing where she where he rescues trinity and the and the um helicopter hits the building yeah and they and go then, he's the one yeah yeah exactly yeah but it's not it's it, yeah and then they're trying to and i guess that i'm i'm just saying i don't really buy needing that extra, extra step beat. from tr- from trinity right. uh but but it's it's a minor thing because then we get like the real yeah, the real shakedown of yes, he is definitely, definitely the one later. No, it's I think it, what it was is a that's an allegory for the frustrations of uh, of marital conversation. Uh, <laughs> you you just just tell me when I see you. You know, like just tell me yeah. when I see you. Don't we don't have to waste the time on the phone right now. Like let's <laughs> tell me back in the real world. You know, like come on. Well, but, you know, she, yeah, she was trying to say it in the Matrix, and it's like not the venue. Yeah, he's like, he's like, this is not the time. Trend. Right, right. Like, yeah. Now, um, now, I think now I'm I'm glad because I I do agree that the love story works in that movie for me. And even though it might not be the most, they might not have the most nuanced conversations, you know, like about mundane things. And I mean, a lot of Trinity and Neo's conversations in the film revolve around 
exposition and what what's going on in the matrix. This is not they're not like really getting to know each other. They don't they don't need to. It's all in the eyes. They don't need to. And there's something so elemental about the casting of those two and their chemistry, their silent chemistry that filmmakers try to do in modern cinema and it just hasn't i mean we you know in in one of our previous episodes we were talking about uh the love story and west side story i was just about to bring that up yeah in west side in west side story it's like they don't need all this kind of like extraneous dialogue it's like there's love at first sight and there's something called romance with a capital r where it's like two people fall in love and we get that with trinity and neo like they look they have the same fucking vibe, and they look at each other in that club, and she whispers into his in ear. The, in the first club, yeah, like yeah, in the first dra- club the drag- scene, the I Rob Zombie it. scene, it's over. Like, yeah. yeah, I, 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 I think that that scene is. There's something so perfect about the way he's leaning on the wall, yeah. feeling so lonely, and then she comes up behind him wearing her outfit, and you know, and and um, he's looking for the, you know, he's following the rabbit. And then, like, they have that conversation, but it's even just the level of their voices and the way that they're looking each- at each other. You're just like, oh, yeah, these two. You know, it's like it's like when, when, when you go somewhere with your friend, you know, to a bar and then your friend meets a girl and you're like, oh, shit, like, that's that's all you, dog. You know, like, like whatever the electricity is that, that, that they have going on, um, it's just there. And look, this is this is something that not every movie can do. Some movies require more of that nuance and you know and and uh the sort of before sunset kind of kind of you know language in order to build these things but yeah could you imagine if it was will smith and carry on mass that would be uh (laughs) yeah that would hurt oh yeah because he was he was in the running for that Uh, the project was built for him and val kilmer val kilmer was gonna be morpheus wow yeah that's crazy. I, That's it, crazy. that. Yeah, like I mean, especially if they ended up ca- casting Carrie on Moss. I mean, Will would have to bring. He would be, you know, forcing all of that charm, and sometimes it works for him, you know. But Will Smith did Wild Wild West instead of The Matrix. That was his yeah. choice. Damn, that's right. That is that's right. That's he's made some bad choices. So we'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> but he took King Richard, and you know, um, I. Yeah, I mean, something about... I've always been pretty fascinated with Keanu Reeves's dopiness, which at the time was seen as pretty bad acting or like it was kind of made fun of a lot at the time. Um, and it just ages beautifully. I mean, he's he's such an amazing center of this movie. Like, he is this kind of doe-eyed, passive... I mean, he's not exactly passive, but like... He's a little bit helpless in the first half of the movie, and he's he's like a guy that you want to help, and mm-hmm. he really has nothing interesting to say ever, except for when he's like, except then when he starts becoming the one, then he he, he like kicks in, and there's something so endearing about him, uh, and he and also the way he you can see him taking in these new experiences for the first time. And it's so compelling. And I don't think Will Smith could have pulled that off. He's not a blank slate like that. He would have been all wit and panache and, you know, it would have been like men in black. And it's like, we don't, we, we can't have that in a movie like the matrix. Yeah. That yeah. Ruined it's, it. it's what I actually think in an older age, he's, he's finding how to really embrace that subtlety, especially for anybody who's seen, I think you both have seen King Richard. 
you know, I think like now he's really embracing more of the like yeah. subtlety and I don't need that. I mean, it, it's yeah, inherent within yeah. him. His Will Smith charm is just, I don't, you know, I think the only time I've ever seen him actually turn it off, turn it off is in After Earth. <laughs> you know, the, the movie he did with his son. Um, yeah, he well, can turn I it think off. For, I think for a role that's essentially like a reprisal for Keanu, it's like a second chance to do the role. I mean, I, in my opinion, I don't think... The Matrix gets cast the way it did without Johnny Mnemonic, and and Johnny Mnemonic is a film from '95, I think. Yeah. Which he's basically playing the exact same character. Um. So, and that's a super campy movie. Um. Mm. Like very very bright and loud around all the edges, aesthetically and and performance wise. Um. Notably, the peak moment of the movie is when he uh, screams at the top of his lungs his desire for room service. Um, and. <laughs> This is like a chance of reprisal. I feel like The Matrix was a reprisal for Keanu to do it again, but do it mm. better, more hardcore, more subtle, everything. And he just, you're right, he nails it. Oh, yeah. I mean, since you bring up Mnemonic, I did think of that for a second. I don't know the movie super well, but I've I've seen it. And, I, and there's a famous line that's like, uh, you, I'm going to hack your brain. Is that the line? You got to hack your own brain. I just, I thought of that when there was the whole thing of, uh, Morpheus, when when the agents are trying to hack into his brain, and they're like calmly explaining, like, well, they have to hack into his brain because, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like they took the concept yeah. from yeah, and then but also that reminds me, there's another '90s movie that I think The Matrix owes a little bit to, and that's Strange Days, the Catherine Bigelow film. Absolutely, Ooh, really? Yeah. Tell, oh, tell yeah. me, tell me more. I don't know why. Why? Uh, it's I a, haven't seen this film. It's. Oh man, what's what's the basic concept? It's it's a it's about like a yeah, it's a film in which uh, people there's a black market of media essentially that you can watch and live just like a memory or somebody else's memory there or you go. Uh, and you can just download it right into your into your brain. So like somebody has this really wild sex and they record it and then you can buy that tape of them and you can live that experience that they had. Yeah, you can like and, hack um, into like experiences and stuff and. And um, J- uh, Jeremy Irons, right? Is that is that no? It's not Jeremy Irons. It's um, Ralph Ray, Ralph Ra- Ray, Ray, Fiennes, Ray yeah. Fiennes. Yeah, Ray Fiennes is the main character, and he plays like a, a dealer of these experiences, and he does. Oh wow! Yeah, and he deals them on on these tiny little CDs, just like the one in in the first in Neo's first scene in the Matrix, where he takes out that little disc that he gives to the white rabbit guy. It's it's. From what I recall, it's, it's very similar, uh, and it's got a kind of a gnarly cyberpunk thing going on. It's a brilliant movie. It's fucking amazing. You know, I mean, just in talking about societal context, there are so many of these movies toward yeah. the end of the century, right? And, and and do you think that was because of some sense of fear or an anticipation? You know, just people thinking that. I mean, people thought that the world would be looking like the Jetsons in the 2000s, you know, like, so what was happening at the, at the end of the nineties to really sort of, well, I th- to, to, to inspire this thinking. Well, I think one aspect or just another reference to throw out there that's super relevant is Blade Runner. I mean, Blade Runner had already introduced and other films like it, but primarily that one had introduced this idea that the future is old and that we're, and that basically just the, uh, we're, it's going civilization's going to decay, not not get refined and amped up. And then I also think this whole concept of of the internet, and then like it seems like the early days of the internet was really more about hacking. that's 
that's that's that's it. I think I think you're really on to yeah. It's yeah, the early days because is, yeah the inter- But what I was going to say is the internet. I think in the '90s and the late '80s or whatever, it was not. It had not caught on with consumers at all, but it had caught on with hackers. I mean, there was like the there there was a movie in the, in the '90s too called called Hackers with uh, right with right. Angelina Jolie, and it's like. That, and also there was like uh, War Games, that, War Games, that movie in nineteen eighty three, and it's yeah, like yeah, with this, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, that also is an influential film, and it's like this whole idea. Like I feel like mainstream culture got used to the culture of hackers before they got used to the idea of the internet, and I think there was just general cultural anxiety around that because they're these dangerous young cool people, and also Hollywood people could see that as potential for entertaining you know stories to be to be about hackers and they weren't wrong uh yeah i mean i don't think the matrix is particularly original in its uh in in what it was kind of doing i think it i think it was bringing together a lot of elements that hadn't been brought together as cleanly and as passionately and as just well done in, in before i think people have taken the themes of this uh, that are explored in the matrix um, and uh, explored them in many different science fiction films. I think we've always been afraid of technology, afraid of the speed of technology. Even if you go all the way back to like, you know, the automobile or before that, like uh, new technology is always accompanied with fear and accompanied with, um, uh, you know, paranoid projections um, about control and reality. So I don't think that the matrix is, fully original in, in its uh, tackling of the themes. I just think it's it, it was uh, just done better, a version done better than any other film to date. I mean, the, right. the one thing I think is pretty original is this idea, which, well, <laughs> again, it's kind of like Total Recall, but not really. This idea that, like, that your entire reality is a is a scrim. It's a, it's a wool that's pulled over your eyes and really you're being used up by robots. And so it's like, yeah, there's shades of like term. Also, let's not forget about Terminator, that whole idea of the robots right. taking over. And it's like, you know, um, AI. but yeah, yeah, I mean, Ma- Ma- matrix is also, I think some people even uh, don't realize, especially when you watch animatrix, that delves into at least just the lore yeah, yeah. of of the world, which is that the, it, the second it, renaissance is a, yeah. is a weird Ooh, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, second renaissance, you know, yeah, connecting it to uh, AI. And, and basically, I mean, the matrix happens because AI has just gotten out of hand and, you know, some version of a singularity has sort of taken over and, and they ended up, they end up using humans as power because, um, because you know, like they they don't have the sun to provide them as a b- battery source. After the war, it's because after of the, the war. war, yeah. After the war, yeah. It, I just interestingly cited here, you know, um, in terms of the idea of like the wool being pulled over our eyes, uh, reality beneath reality. Uh, some have commented that it goes back to Descartes' first meditation. It says the meditation hypothesizes that perceived world might be a comprehensive illusion created to deceive us. So like some form of the devil and deceit and uh, and that. And I think that the the idea of like the wool being pulled over us is also increasingly relevant and, and of course 
goes yeah. to 1984 as you know double think and double speak it's like it, it's almost you know if you take the matrix the reality of the matrix versus the science fiction reality of the matrix and you apply it to uh, a modern uh, consumerist society it's it's a very thin metaphor i mean i always sort of saw the matrix as a kind of punk rock attempt to break us out of our sheep-like lives of yeah. consumerism and that allegory is 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 i don't know if it's original but it's um i think it's just it's very relevant in in modern culture well i've i vibe with that but i also think it's deeper than that because it's about it's about a feeling that that this is not right and that maybe you're not even right within your own body and there's that great um uh short in the animatrix about the runner which i know Stephen oh loves. yeah where it's sorry like, can we get a mop <laughs> <laughs> get this guy a box of tissues god the one about the runner is yeah and i mean that when i think of that you know i connected a lot with that and then but that also makes me think of the whole like trans thing where you know these are tr trans people essentially who wrote this film and i think there is a visceral sense of not belonging in your own body and something being mm. being fundamentally wrong and, and needing to like break out in some radical way and get through to the other side i think i think i've i see that as a strong allegory as well so and that's and that's uh i'm just reading also here this interesting um the connection between the premise of the matrix and plato's allegory of the cave uh word word go on um, can you explain that for for us the allegory of the cave is um i guess it's part of plato's theory of of forms um essentially just like the the true essence of an object is not exactly just what we perceive but um but rather something fundamental about about it so it's not our perception of the thing that matters as much as um uh what it actually contains um so yeah for example um you know most people perceive only the shadow of an object and and thus are limited to a false perception so uh yeah i don't know that idea is i think fundamental and i think fundamental in the in all the aspects of the themes of the matrix uh in terms of the grid being applied to our uh to our lives and also the the gender and identity bending aspects now these sort of themes i'm i'm glad we're touching on them because i think it's a it's a good segue because turn of the century, we have a lot of people, you know, at least in summation, we have a lot of people, there are fears and anxieties and some excitement about what technology is going to do or how it's going to play a major role in our lives. Because before then, we still had so many aspects of our lives that were analog. Now, 23 years later, after The Matrix comes out, we have a film called everything everywhere all at once and we are all insanely connected to everything and in a way we do live multiple lives and avatars of ourselves in social media and uh uh you know in 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 different forms of the internet i mean we're talking on zoom and you know sometimes people have a text going on at the same time so you're even having multiple com conversations so we are so connect interwoven into 
different forms of communication and connected to technology now that we have this film that is, I think, less so about the technology because all the technology in this movie is, it, it looks very, um, it looks like rudimentary technology. They use a lot of, you know, like when characters are connecting to the multi dimensions, they're just using those old school headsets, you know, that uh, Bluetooth head headphones and, all, and everything. But the multiverse is something that is so that is such the central theme of this movie and being connected to different versions of yourselves of, of yourself and different choices that you that you can have made. Um, it's more of a spiritual movie, would you say, right? Or than, than a technology film? Uh, it's definitely not a technology film. I mean, but just to, to like, to, to double up on what you're saying, like, I, I think, I mean, if you heard of, uh, you know, historians have categorized like the last 400 or so years of Western culture as like uh, uh, the age of enlightenment and then the um, sort of mm-hmm. late late 19th century to the 20th century is the age of anxiety. Um, and, and I think now a movie like this proves that we're fully into a new age, which I think of as the age of multiplicity. And, um, and it's like... An, say, 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 say that one more time. The age, Just for the audience. The age of multiplicity. Okay, okay. So it, I think we've transcended... Anxiety. <laughs> I think basically post nine eleven, we've slowly been growing, you know. And I mean, Brady Sinellis talks about po- post empire, um, which, which is a whole other thing. But like, you know, we're in this new phase of Western civilization, and you know, globalization, and and now with the internet, it's really cementing the age of multiplicity, and like. And especially since multiverses in general are becoming so popular now. And like I was reading about uh, Daniel Kwan talking about them coming up with this movie. And they said that basically uh, when like season because they've been working on this for a while. And it's like right. season two of uh, Rick and Morty came out and they were like, oh, shit, they're doing the exact <laughs> same thing that we were working on. Like we better stop watching Rick and Morty. And um and and then like when this when Into the Spider Verse came out, they're like, "Fuck!" <laughs> so, yeah, they're just like, "All right, we gotta hurry up. We gotta, yeah. you know." And I mean, there's an early-ish multiverse movie called uh, The One with Jet Li. Oh yeah, from yeah, 2001. Yeah, right. But like, yeah. anyway, I'm just saying the fact that this is now a genre. Like, I've seen quotes for, in the TV spots for this movie. They're like the best multiverse movie ever, and it's we're like, getting a lot of multiverse movies in the past five. I years. think it's, it's so. Like, I'm not. A, I'm not a fan. I'll just. In, uh, in, I'm not about it. But that's low hanging marketing fruit. I mean, it's they can wit. say it with some some uh, verve and. No, yeah. I mean they're not. I think they're right. I mean, I I prefer Into the Spider Verse, but I mean it's a, it's definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, sh- sure, it's the best multiverse movie. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite tidbit about how the Daniels um, started thinking about multiverses was that they saw it. They first were exposed to the idea of multiverses from watching Sherman's March. Oh yeah, I I looked at that too. I don't understand. Can you? I haven't seen that whole film. Can you explain that? Because I don't I don't get I, it at all. I can't remember where he talks about. I don't think he d- modal I don't think realism, he, but what is modal realism? Uh, that's a, that's apparently the the theory of of uh, multiverses essentially that 
was mentioned in Sherman's March. Um, uh, okay. Well. It's a, a modal realism is like a David Kellogg Lewis thing about like all poss- all worlds are possible. Um, it's just some treatise on like why there are there, why there could be other worlds, and I'm sure that Mr. Sherman March himself was. Tri- tripping I mean, out if, about if we want to wait, stuff. Sherman's March the, the about about the Civil War. Yeah, it, no, no, it's well, not really it's not about, about the, the Civil War. Uh, yeah. So Sherman's <laughs> March. I don't know if this will prove to be relevant to anything ever, but uh, Sherman's March <laughs> is is a is like a self reflexive diaristic documentary about this guy uh who's the guy russ russ, russ Mac- McElwee? yeah ross McElwee uh makes a move he may he basically it's one of the, it's one of the first movies where it's like i am a documentarian making a movie about my life and about what i'm working on and it's actually really good but um uh but he but he's trying to do a movie about uh about about um, yeah William Tecumseh Sherman from the Civil War and and he keeps on relating it back to his own life and his own and his like family in the South and stuff like that but most and most of the movies about him trying to date all these women in the South it's really funny it's it's just it was weird like so anyways there's that it's from it's from like the late. I think it's from the mid '80s. Uh, I don't think you would like it at all, Steph. But it's it's good. No, I, I mean, <laughs> if it's it sounds like a fun, trippy thing to watch. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love hearing about these inspirations yeah, when these so filmmakers wild. writing these films because, you know, again, like we go back to what inspired the Wachowskis, and they throw in Ghosts in the Shell and all these like wild animes. But to hear that, I mean, the Daniels are just. I mean, so much of what they're doing is so. Um, disruptive and unconventional maybe you know for for some who have seen the movie you know that i've heard uh it's 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 a maximalist exploration into being into being extremely unconventional and some people I, i saw it with my mom you know and you know my mom's in her 50s and we're watching the film and you know just from the opening scene you know, so just just quickly, you're following this Chinese woman, and she owns a la- laundromat, but she's trying to do her taxes. But uh, you, you know what? The there, there's just so much chaos. She's talking to so many people. It actually reminded me of of uh, Uncut Gems a little bit. Just like the way that you have like six different conversations going on with a character like she's talking to her husband and then she sees a uh, you know divorce papers and then her daughter's there with uh her, her daughter's girlfriend and she's trying to introduce and then she's got her grandfather coming in and she's got a customer you know just introducing four or five layers of conflict at the same time for a character within like five to ten minutes it, it, it just reminded me of just that sort of anxiety of of uncut gems but this is just to say that my mother watching the movie was so overwhelmed. Right. She was very overwhelmed to the point where she was getting very frustrated, I'd say, uh, towards the, the middle of the film. And I think in watching her experience, I mean, I was glancing over. And I, I mean, I, I was just, you know, my mouth was on the floor. I was like just loving every moment of it. But I, I realized that, like, she just was so disconnected. She's like, what is, you know, like... Because there's just so much information being crammed and it's happening. I mean, it's moving at lightning speed. I mean, the movie probably has, I don't know, like how many thousands of cuts are in this movie editing wise, you know? 
Yeah, there's probably a thousand cuts just in the transitions between the <laughs> scenes. Um, yeah, I think that the speed and the uh, the speed is something that's really important. I think to the way they wanted the movie to to be digested, because if it's moving super fast, then you don't have time to think about anything, and you just uh, that's something that Daniel Kwan has talked about. Um, if it's moving so fast, then the intellect can't really activate, and you can't start questioning things, and you just try to go on the ride, which I I respect. <laughs> um so before we like get into critiquing and analyzing it i am curious Stefan, like what your emotional response to this movie was um let's let's start there and and why and why you had that response perhaps it's a it's a really good question so just just like number one i i i've i've only had a very serious tearjerker response to a few films in my life that I've seen in theaters. Uh, Matrix, Toy Story 3, Titanic was probably like the very first, first one. You know, so this movie, watching it, I think when I first started, I was like, oh, this is really fun. I love all the handmade instruments. I like, I like how they're cleverly using just everyday objects to, to, to jack into a world. And you can kind of see some of the effects that they're doing in camera. And they're just, it's like having a really good time. But I, I think at, at some point in the movie, when, when they stopped just throwing so much exposition and, and, and giving so much just information, I, I really connected with the story of um, I, the story of just this, this uh, generate, this, this, small generation of a family you know from the mom to the daughter to the husband and and her father and and how they were so disconnected and how they ingeniously used these people to be antagonistic to each other i thought was so emotionally potent and i had been dying to see a movie that did that with a family, especially an immigrant family at its core. I just, it's something I'd always imagined in my mind. And when I saw it being realized and it's, and it's loving itself and having a great time. And then I thought that the love that she had between her and her daughter, um, it's just, it just rang so true. I think it's just in the performances. So at, at one moment, I think, I, you know, like when I was uncontrollably crying, when I texted you both, I, it was, it was the moment in which she's, saving everybody going up the stairs and her daughter is just asking her, you know, what basically like this sort of nihilistic point of view of just what are, what are we even doing all of this for, you know, like, and she just wants to destroy this multiverse um, knowing that everything just feels so disconnected and there isn't a point to all of it. But I, I think just this movie has such a, uh, the theme was just so clear to me by the end that, you know, just having a modicum of time, even if it seems so in, insignificant, and 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 feeling and expressing love, even to those people that may seem insignificant. You know what they're doing may seem insignificant in their lives. If you love them, just having that moment to share with them a genuine connection—that's that's the point. And. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of lost it. Right? <laughs> you know, like uh, when, when, when that was communicated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's cool. Um, I, 
it it worked for me emotionally on on some level. I can't say I had that kind of response to it at all, but a lot of people are, and um, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's 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 certainly a, a film made for this time. I mean, uh, I I found myself really enjoying it a lot. Um, I was not really out of the movie at any point. Um, my, I think it was moving too fast for me to, uh, allow myself to get grumpy and start picking things apart. It just, it just moved too quickly. And yeah, the themes are clear and they do, they are kind of reverberating on a, on a profound generational level. Like there is, there is a lot of dirt under the rug there that young people are really going to connect with. And I think everyone who's a victim of technology, now is going to connect with um and i found myself connecting with the mother daughter uh, uh through line uh very strongly as well as the like just a little moment of like acceptance generationally coming down like um when when the grandfather right. sort of finally realizes it's it's the girlfriend and just like you see some light bulbs that was going really off nice. that was nice yeah. and yeah. um so emotionally it worked for me i, I found myself enjoying the film despite having what my intellect would um, describe as aesthetic problems uh, with with the filmmaking and with the type of movie that it is, um, I, I I do have to say that I think it pretty much works on all the in- intended levels and emotionally it got me too. So you know if you can be resistant to the charms of a of a film's aesthetic or even its goals and still by the end it works on you then that's it's it's a testament to a to a good film i think so yeah i i would say the same f- for myself like as much as i found myself like not being in for some of it i was and like also getting some fatigue uh with it because of just like the the pace except for like the rock scenes where like uh it goes to like the pre human uh or or this track of the multiverse where where there's no life where people, on the planet. Yeah, there's just no um, life on the planet. Yeah. Th- those were amazing because it just allowed nothing it just stopped. Yeah. To to happen. And we're just reading texts on the screen and looking at these rocks. I mean that was ingenious. I will also say the other like the the things that stand out to me as particularly ingenious are like are that and also the idea that in these battles uh, or like in the fight scenes, yeah. um, w- which when they discover that if she does something weird or unexpected, then that then that allows her to to cut through the space time continuum and access another another dimension or an, another multiverse, right? Like that really resonated. It's like when you do when you do stuff like that, when you take those risks, you're you're rewarded. And I thought that was a really nice. That's a, that's a, that's a really ingenious way to not only like sort of connect all the absurdity with something something that's like identifiable but it also justifies all of the weird choices that the movie's making. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> I like, I completely agree. It, it creates its own mythology which is that weirdness is the most valuable thing in, in the universe. <laughs> and therefore this movie the weirder it gets the better it gets. And that's yeah. pretty fucking I think that's pretty genius. I, I did not expect the film to pay off on on almost every absurdist gag that it introduces. 
they tried to find a way to pay off emotionally every single one of them from the hot dog fingers. Some of those that were introduced, I just thought that, okay, that's a funny joke. That's a funny universe. But, you know, like in that final sort of third act montage, they've got a, you know, she's playing Claire de Lune with her toes and they're making out with the fingers and she's in a, you know, full on queer relationship with uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie Kennedy, not Jamie Kennedy. Oh my God. Jamie, Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis, Curtis. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, and um, and then you know, like the although stuff this with uh, the this film kind of was it kind of was like an episode of the Jamie Kennedy experiment, I gotta say. <laughs> the Jamie Lee Curtis experiment. Yeah, that's right, that's right. You know, the stuff with the Rakakuni. Um, Our audience know, I, loved the Rakakuni. Oh my god! They, they were I, I actually didn't think that that was that funny when it was introduced. But they, when like, they kept okay. bringing it back, it got it, when it, they brought it got yeah, funnier it as got they funnier, brought it back. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is it, was, it just insisted on itself, <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. Sometimes when you repeat, it's not a milk a joke. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when you repeat a, something in real life, it just becomes funny because you just say it over and over again. Too. That's a little trick for for uh, any uh, amateurs out there, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Now, okay, so craftsmanship level, because we are we are filmmakers here. I will say, I mean, again, like we're, when we're going back to the Matrix that is shot on thirty five millimeter uh, film, and uh, Jeff, remind me who's the DP on Matrix? Bill Pope. Yeah, Bill Pope? yeah, you're right. Yeah, ding ding. Uh, Bill, Bill Pope, who, who shot the you know the original Matrix, and I mean the original Matrix feels like every frame of it feels like a graphic novel right and there's something about even the way that the transitions are done that some of them are done in camera but what they're doing with like some of the effects it it all it all feels elevated and um you can see all the budget on screen now and and i wonder if you know and i want you guys to expound on this but with this movie i did think that I love Larkin Seipel. Larkin Seipel shot This Is America. Larkin Seipel has shot a lot of stuff with Hiro Murai, who DP'd this film. But this movie did feel, I, I, I will say just in terms of the cinematography and the craftsmanship, it still, it, it did, uh, I don't know, some of it did feel a little, um, just, it just did, it didn't seem like a big budget film. You know, well, it, 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 like a lot of it looked like a music video. I, I agree. Saying, I know? agree. And yeah. and e- even some of the effects when they're going when she's going through some of the universes and th- there's an effect where they have like this uh, looks like they have like an LED that's changing on her face. It was like I could see where they were putting the lights a lot of the time, you know, in this film. I could see where things were and uh, you know like how the sets were built. But may- maybe that's just you know like what they were trying to do and trying to make the thing feel tangible. But it didn't it didn't necessarily look as in terms of craftsmanship as, as you know, what Bill Pope did with the matrix. No, not even close. And I'm, I'm relieved to hear you say that. Cause I thought that you'd be so blue pilled by your love of the movie that you wouldn't be able to acknowledge, uh, <laughs> where it's no, lacking. no, 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 the, 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 the homie, you know, once a visualist, yeah, yeah, always, yeah. always a visualist. No, I, I would agree. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to shit on it, but I mean, it also, um, it also only had like a what was the budget, Mike? Like twenty twenty five mil. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so, an indie film. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. It's an indie film. That's At the end right. of the That's day, right. it's sort of it's weird because it's like this summer or whatever. It's like the closest thing we have to a blockbuster. 
Well, yes. we're not in yet. the summer so, yet. So far, so far. Oh, we're whatever. still in the yet, spring, but yeah. Sure. Yet it's, a, yet it's an indie film. It's like kind of this, uh, it's a rare breed of like indie blockbuster. Like this is going to yes. be a really Fuck interesting, yeah. uh, from a business industry standpoint, it's going to be interesting to see how well this film does um, and just what doors it may open to other multiverses. Aesthetically, though, like uh, I mean, to compare it to the Matrix is is is, is not not going to happen. Um, but <laughs> I I didn't I, I found it um, my aesthetic problems with the film are from like spiritual standpoint, um, not from an actual visual standpoint. Hit us. Like I thought the I thought the uh, the camera work was was fine, was good, and and it was functioning well. And I I liked the fact that they used the the LED lights and, and swirling colors, like. Because it's like I could name the the I could name the fixture they used to do that effect. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I could tell you exactly what model they used. Yet I've seen that that fixture used in so many different different indie films and never done it in a creative way. So the fact that they're at least pushing for language with those the new lighting technologies and like saying, okay, hey, we're going into another universe now, so we do a little swirly and. Uh, and the fact that the visual effects were accomplished with a five-person team. Um, unbelievable. That, was, that unbelievable. was unbelievable. When I saw, Insane. I did watch the, that, that video. Five people. Yeah, and then you uh, look our, at... Our listeners, you guys hear that? Five people did all the effects in this $25 million movie. That's pretty fucking incredible. Impressive. And you look at something like, you know, the third Thor movie or whatever, it probably had like literally a farm of like 500 graphics artists <laughs> and it's, and it looks worse. Yes. Oh but yeah. They didn't try to do anything beyond what, you know, they weren't trying to push what, what they are. They, they were just trying to do what they can with what they have and be creative. Like you weren't seeing them overreach visually. Here. No. They're, they're really just, um, uh, being resourceful and and um, having fun with it, so yeah, it feels very handmade. It feels very indie, and um, and uh, and yet it's maybe the first of its kind, the the indie blockbuster. I mean, but where so where were you going with the spiritual problems with it? Uh... Well, I think uh, kind of to your point, what you're saying, Jeff, um, the act of randomness is the thing that signals to the universe that you are uh you know off the grid and and now can be located i think it was i think it, it was less about adding value to the r random act and just using it as a flag but um it's that exact um ethos which kind of it's just so yesh um it's like the definition of yesh almost in itself the the act of randomness creating value um, that's true. That's true. The is, act of randomness creating value is yes. I don't. I don't. I don't know yes. I don't know this one. Here we go. <laughs> are we going to? Are we going to do this? Hit me with the term. Oh, do, I, I need it because I, I love them. Is is yes equivalent? Because I know that there's one that I I learned recently called mid. That that um <laughs> that the kids are saying. I I had never. <laughs> what is mid? What's mid? Mid is like anything that's just you know mediocre. Like my buddy, he saw uh, 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 middle he, of the road. You know. Yeah, middle of the road. It's like, oh man, yeah, that was mid. I see M. I say M O R, but uh, mid is cool. I like that. Um, um, but 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 yesh, please. Okay, yeah, so yesh, yesh is um, they're like the ner It's like the nerdiest version of a theater kid going back to uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, being like the first. Oh man, that kind of thing. Okay. 
Yes, so, it's uh, this is this is the debut of the definition of the Yesh aesthetic on this podcast right here today. Uh, yesh is it's an incredibly uh, interesting and yet insufferable aesthetic. Um, uh, it has its highs and lows, <laughs> and it's a sense um, of humor as well as an aesthetic. Yesh is it's Weeble and Bob. It's it's Wes Anderson Kish. It's Amelie. It's Jean Pierre Junet. It's Family Guy. It's a left-wing response to order. It's, it's it's also it's also Gollum. I think very like to to be clear, like in Family Guy, it's not all of Family Guy, but it's Stewie in Family Guy. He's Yesh. And then also and then also like in Lord of the Rings, you can't say that all of Lord of the Rings is Yesh, but Gollum is Yesh, and people who do Gollum voices are Yesh. They're Yesh. <laughs> And it's 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 Monty Python. Um, it's it's the Holy Grail. It's Monty Python's Ministry of Silly Walks. Yeah. Um, the it's, Knights Who Say Knee. Knee. Then knee. exactly. It's it's um, randomness as humor or randomness in place of humor. It's cu- cuteness <laughs> or childlike aesthetic, like a rated G kind of humor. Mm, uh, also, okay. Also, the word "random" is kind of yet yeah, like when it first yeah. started being used as a joke it, it, in the early two thousands. It's like, oh my god, that's so random. That's yesh. Saying okay, random okay. like that is yesh. It, it it sounds pretty. I mean, when I hear it, I, I'm hearing I'm hearing like it's synonymous with kind of elementary broad yeah. humor. Yeah, exactly. You know, like uh, you know, it's like the kind of thing that yeah, you would have come up with in great it's it's not broad though it's um it's like anti-broad because it's it's not going for the obvious uh punchline it's actually i've traced it all the way back to surrealism and like salvador dali um surrealism being like the a movement that that employs this idea of the element of surprise right uh the celebrates the idea of the non sequitur which is like You just say something and it's because it's so breaks logic to such a degree that it becomes funny. So it's like, mm, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. Okay. okay so okay. this, this new Daniels film is pure. Yash. It's, it, and, it, and it actually is narratively, aesthetically, spiritually. And, and like you, you were speaking to Jeff, the actual device, narrative device within the film is That's the true. more yesh we can be, the more skills we can grab from other universes. Yeah. And, so yeah, it is this kind of like constant barrage of breaking logic for for humor. Yeah, 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 and 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 they do it a lot. I mean, right? Like, I mean, the the infamous scene in the movie is is the butt plug, the fight over the butt plug when they're trying to hop on it. Yeah, that right? stuff is a little too yes for me. And I mean, yeah. but and also once once you take, I I thoroughly enjoyed that scene, but I, I mean, I did really I funny. did too to an extent, but, yeah. but I don't know, it's. Yeah, I described it as Alpha Yesh when we got out of the movie. <laughs> but don't you think that's also part of the, that's part of the the genre, at least that the genre mechanics of the film, and and leaning into the you know into the absurd. Yeah, no, it, it succeeds. It very much succeeds at what it's trying to do. It's just that I I think where Micah and I are are aligned is that what it's trying to do is something that is not totally to our. To our taste. So, so the the everything bagels, yes, is fuck then. Well, yeah, I mean, the because the whole movie is, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just see you both just walking out of it and just being like, you know, like that was sick, but like pretty yes, dude. Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoy the film uh, overall. Like, I had <laughs> I had a really good time with it. I had an emotional journey with it as well. Like, I think it's a really good movie. Um, but yeah, in terms of it, like acknowledging its yeshiness and um, in the face of you know, it's it's trying to say exactly what you said, Stefan, which is to face the absurdity of, of existence, right? So it's got this, like, the tenets of existential nihilism and optimistic nihilism at play. That's the everything bagel. It's it's existential nihilism. But to me, this, the, the solution spiritually for existential nihilism, you know, let's face the absurdity of life with, with you know, well, it's, it's since everything's so absurd, we might as well just go nuts. To me, uh, mm. a, a better a better solution. Yeah, I think what irked me about it is not so much the um, like I I dig that kind of silliness. Like there's a place for it, but the fact that it's so that there's such a need for it, like it's it's a real it's really like supply and demand. Um, it's a supply and demand issue for millennials. Like we seem to just need that, like. Like college educated, at least from my experience, college educated like white millennials and men too. So basically, my exact demographic um, seem to just crave this kind of thing in mass. And like there was, and like when the uh, when when that like hot dog fingers thing came on, somebody. Um, like when that happened for the first time in the film, somebody started like clapping and just screamed out, yes. And, and it's like, yeah, like I think it's funny too, but like the fact that this is the thing that we, that we so dearly need in our lives and in society and in our entertainment is that, and, and that coupled with this kind of like ultimate profundity, it's just not really my thing, but like, but but there seems to Oh, yeah. sorry. You finish, finish, finish your thought. No, I, it's just that that seems to be like the big thing that everyone wants is like profundity juxtaposed with ultimate silliness. Right. And I, I think that it's cool that that can be done. Um, but it's, but I guess I've seen it done enough that like, I don't really need to see it a lot more. And I get that this is like a very maximalist, like slick version of that done to the nines. And so, you know, I'm glad the movie exists, but I just didn't need it as badly as my my millennial brethren. And and it's and I guess it just frustrates me that that's our generation. Like that's what we're so hyped on. Now, like I I I, I want to leapfrog on that because I want to connect it to just a broader social context. Because now, jumping back to what we were saying about the 1980s and 90s and total recall, right? I mean, you know, you've got, there's, there's so many ridiculous things kind of happening in this movie, you know, like with um, just the way some of these characters, I mean, the eighties, you had so many crazy sci-fi things going on and, and I'm, and I'm trying to think of, you know, like just what was happening and the, you know, like the sort of broad social context that's like informing these things. And we spoke about technology and fears and you, you talked about like the age of anxiety. Now, as as 23 years later from the matrix we're in a point now where you know my sister sends me about i don't know 10 to 15 tiktoks a day and all of them yeah. are yes yeshy you know and, <laughs> and 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 i and i must say that can you send me some of just a couple oh just, my god so, so that we can like get but, aligned but, but on that i i i i gotta say that like the demographic you speak of is 
really broad. I mean, it's like, I mean, yeah. my sister is a, you know, Haitian Dominican 11 year old and, you know, and she's craving that hot dog humor. And then so is like, yeah. you know, like a 30 year old homie. Um, granted, I, I don't think, I don't know if this movie appeals that much. I, I would actually love to look at the box office numbers and see who's like going back, but I don't know if this movie appeals that much to the older generation. I don't think probably, that they probably not as much. I don't they think don't. that they're going to be processing even some of the jokes and the way that they come out as much. I think they'll, they'll enjoy some of the humor and the heart, you know, um, and I don't think they would be but, particularly impressed by such a lack of restraint. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what but, I mean? but, but I, I do think that the Daniels are informed, especially coming from the world of music videos and working for these pop artists in, in, you know, in, in such uh, large amounts that I think that that has informed their style of absurdity and randomness. Yeah, and this I, felt like, like an, it felt like an 140 minute music video to me. Yeah, and and one of and one of our friends, uh, Talia, mentioned she said she feels like this is the first movie made from our generation, which I thought was a really interesting comment. You know, because this is the first movie made by a spaz. <laughs> Yeah, it's the first movie that truly embodies this multiplicity that I'm talking about. Exactly, exactly. I think it's the yeah, it's it is. I, I Frank, when I saw it, that that is why I do think that this movie will be a landmark moment in in our culture. Now, the the thing that I'm scared of is that people will take the worst parts of this film and try to recreate that over and over again. You know, aye, aye. do you know what aye, I mean? Aye, aye. And I and I and I'm I'm worried that people are, you know, like you said, this multiplicity, the way that they're using humor, the way that they're just intercutting animation and you know, and all these different uh versions, you know, like I I I'm worried that our culture is going to lean more into it's just like people just you know, and look, the Daniels, I think those are two very educated men you know, who, who made this film. I mean, you can tell in that rock scene and all that, that like they're informing so much of what they're doing with poignancy. But I do, I do think that some people may walk away from this and, you know, and take away the wrong things similarly to how the matrix was a landmark and people took the wrong things away from it. You know, movies like equilibrium and, yeah. you know, like it's just like movies just came out and they're just like, all right, so, you know, people are jacked in, you know, like the world's got to be, you know, uh, you know like fo they focus yeah, yeah. on on trying to like, you know, create some kind of cool effects and and, you know, and people are stuck in a world, but they're taking well, away the wrong the wrong element of a soul. I think you could argue that everything everywhere all at once is just a regurgitation of the matrix a response of the matrix, essentially, like and maybe it's the good kind that you've been waiting for and it took 20 years, but. Uh, I mean, it's 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 certainly that. So maybe maybe we'll have a bunch of uh, of simulacra, um, but then maybe they'll we'll finally break way to the next uh, the next version of what we're searching for. I think people are like searching for something when they're imitating. Um, so it took twenty years for someone to to imitate the Matrix to make something original out of it. Or you know something that you could argue is original. I mean, I mean, my impulse walking away from it was, gee, I w I just want to return to simplicity. Like it just made me want to go and fucking go back to basics and watch, you know, 
Dreyer and Bresson and just like Ozu just like go back to the simplest uh, form of cinema and storytelling that we have. And yeah. I mean, I'm hoping, I mean, here's hoping. I mean, the other thing too is that like, is that I really think whether it was intentional or not, this film is a response to the attention spans and the interest of young people drifting from conventional, conventionally paced and plotted film storytelling to yeah. like you're saying, TikTok and shit like that and wanting smaller morsels of things. And they said, and whether or not this was the plan or not, they managed to say, let's take uh, a bunch of ideas and a bunch of jokes and a bunch of action shit and just put it in a blender and make the most frenetic uh, jam packed epic schizophrenic movie that we could possibly make and and that will probably resonate you know and it'll probably capture the imagination and the attention spans of not only 30 year olds but 12 year olds and yeah. so i think i think that that's that is danger that is a little dangerous because we can't i think that like part of the idea of a movie is that you're immersed in it and you succumb to a single story or, or, or whatever, and you are willing to go along with that story for two hours or an hour and a half. And like, you know, and, and suspend and, and actually be able to like to submerge yourself in that and not need so much stimulation. So I think if it just becomes an arm race, if, if this creates a trend in movie making, that is just a, an arms race for more and more, stuff per minute then yeah i think that is dangerous but maybe this is also the kind of thing where it's like the definitive movie that's also the last movie like it <laughs> you know what i mean like this may yeah. this may be like okay no one can do can do everything better than this movie therefore try something else yeah i mean to me it feels like an homage film uh you know it's an homage to the matrix it's Obviously, The Matrix inspired everybody who saw it in some way. Uh, obviously inspired these guys. Um, the only thing I worry about the homage film, it's like the homage film kind of acts as this dire reminder that uh, of the notion that cinema's best work is, is behind was, us. Was you know, <laughs> Yeah, just that like the, the best of cinema is behind us. And we're, now we only get to relive that in some perpetual regurgitation. Um, and that makes me like, of course, cry. Um, it's a it's a little anxious. I know. I understand. But we still have great. You know. I mean. I, I thought. I mean, like last year, and speaking of sci-fi, like Dune. I thought you know it was like one of the first sci-fi films. I was like, oh my god. At least just as an experience, that felt new. I just want to touch on. Oh, j just highlight. I got to give a shout out to the choreographers. On I did love the choreography in uh everything everywhere all at once a lot of it was played for humor but i mean the fight with the fanny pack i thought was pretty cool that was great and you know all the stuff with um with jamie lee curtis i thought was pretty dope and then the final fight with her fighting against her daughter that to me was like probably the most virtuoso directing was how that was how their choreography and the camera mimic and they use so many match cuts on on each one of their moves and they're like fighting through like seven different scenes i thought that was pretty dope that was that was that was pretty um that was pretty well done you know obviously if, if there's one major thing that links these two movies together it's that they're also two movies that 
are focused on, uh, you know, or at least a lot of the plot me mechanics revolve around mar martial arts. Well, the the entire concept of this film was taken right from the Matrix, obviously. Like, hey, get me a training program for the BT-212 yes. helicopter. Okay, got it. Um, yeah. But the uh, one thing I think is really interesting that connects these films also is they're both in their inception inspired by like Michelle Gondry. Um, like if you dig deep, like the original effects from the matrix were kind of inspired by Michelle Gondry music videos. And, um, and you can see, you can see the kind huh. of playfulness of like eternal sunshine coming, you know, influencing the Daniels as well. So it's oh, like, yeah, that's true. Both that's true. have, have roots in Gondry's visual kind of, um, we owe it all to Gondry. And, we owe it all to Gondry. Respect to the French. Respect to the French. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, remarkable. I, you know, just love story-wise. I thought, I mean, if there's like, I think I texted Jeff this. I was like, she, she could possibly get like a Best Actress nomination for being in this film. She will. Like that, that, that performance is, I mean, if there's one thing that has to tie it together, like she just weaves through so many different styles and she's hilarious and heartbreaking. And so is... um that actor who had been gone for like 20 years who just came back uh, to do this film. Oh, yeah. I don't know his name, but he was Ki. great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ki, Ki Hui Kwan. Yeah, Ki Hui Kwan. And Stephanie Su as the daughter. She Fantastic. was actually probably my favorite. Yeah. Was, like, I thought she really brought it. Like, who was that, dude? Like She replaced Aquafina, apparently. Oh, really? I'm actually so happy about that. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the okay. performances are really good, and the the mother daughter through line is really good. And ultimately, the whole film was anchored by a really good story of generational love and how it's given and taken. And yeah. you know, the moral of the story is give cookies to your IRS agents because <laughs> they need <laughs> love right. too. That's you know, right. um, beautiful pictures. You know, uh, love to everybody listening to to us. Micah Van Hove, um, brother, thank you for joining. Uh, the Diesel and Reaser podcast. An absolute pleasure. And we got to have you again. Great pod. Peace out. Thank you, everyone.